Welcome to GBMA Education's Biosimilar podcast series. Advances in biological medicines have supported substantial improvements in the lives of many Australians living with a range of illnesses, such as rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease, and cancer. If the registration, adoption, and ongoing use of biosimilar medicines increases in Australia, this could result in broader access to biological medicines under the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, or funding for new healthcare treatments. In this final episode in a series of 12 podcasts, Jatinda Hachiwal, Chief Pharmacist at the Royal Marsden Hospital NHS Foundation Trust, will provide an international perspective on the use of biosimilar medicines in the UK. Welcome, Jatinda, and thank you for participating in GBMA Education's Biosimilar Podcast. Could you explain the clinical development pathway for a biosimilar medicine? So the clinical development pathway for a biosimilar uh, can take anything up to, I think, on average, eight years. And um, within that, you, uh, there's a huge amount of work that takes place to, first of all, develop the cells and uh, isolate them, grow them, purify them, fold them, and then extract them, and then start doing all of your phase one tests where you're demonstrating your, first of all, your chemical similarity, and then all of your testing and various different parts of the molecule to understand whether it's got a similar effect to the originator uh, product. And you compare numerous batches that are biosimilar to a number of batches of the originator, so that together you can show that there is similarity in the profile of both medicines. And only once you've been able to demonstrate that against numerous batches can you then take it to your phase two and eventually doing some small-scale phase three studies. Um, and the European Medicines Agency, who approve the medicines for use in Europe, uh, will expect to see a, a detailed number of tests and, um, and results that will demonstrate that similarity and the same clinical effect to the originator product. And only once that has been satisfied will they look to approve that particular biosimilar. In the UK, what did you do to drive the clinical acceptance of biosimilar medicines? So if we talk about biosimilar rituximab, we developed a structured programme uh, which focused on clinical education for different stakeholders. Stakeholders were typically uh, medical staff, nursing staff, pharmacy, and importantly involving patient groups uh, to understand, first of all, about biologics and how they are made, and then also to understand how biosimilars are developed and, importantly, how they are approved. And once you compare that the two and, and help people understand the difference, um, then we, we embarked on ensuring that uh, information is available for individual hospitals and departments to be able to understand all of that information so that when it came a chance to then start using a biosimilar, they were able to do that with confidence and understanding so that if a patient asked questions about it, they were able to explain whilst we, that we were using a drug that was going to be highly similar to the originator molecule and certainly would have the same clinical impact and would be as safe as the originator product. So as we did that program where we pulled all of that information together, we made sure there were some key opinion leaders in some large, well-established cancer centres who led the way to start using some of the biosimilars. And once we did that, we shared some of those results with other centres, and then we were able to help effect a large change across the whole of the NHS in England. What were the biggest concerns or challenges I think the biggest challenge for everybody, not just clinicians, for pharmacists, for patient groups, is number one, understanding first of all that the clinical impact is going to be the same. 
and having the assurance about that whenever you're treating any patients. I think the number one aim for all of us is to ensure we're not compromising both the clinical impact, but secondly, that we were going to make sure that it's as safe as the originator product. And so we concentrated a lot on explaining how biosimilars are developed and approved by going through that in detail that helped people understand and certainly helped mitigate any concerns that people might have had. Um, and I think there was also, um, we went through the really important issue of how variation does exist, even with the reference biologic. And when people understand there's a natural variation that occurs from batch to batch, or even when there is a slight change in the production of that reference molecule, for example, if you change a filter, when you're making a uh, one batch to the next, that can change slightly the activity of the, of the biologic. And if you then even change the manufacturing plant, that can be a much larger change. So understanding those have happened numerous times over the lifespan of an, of an originator biologic. Then when people see how a biosimilar is probably not that different to those changes, people are a lot more accepting about a biosimilar being used in practice. What is indication extrapolation? To, to understand extrapolation, I think you need to understand, first of all, that once you've demonstrated that a biosimilar has got the same structural profile, it's got the same pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic effects, and then it's got the straight same function, then it's also tested in sensitive indications. And once you've shown similarity in all four of those, then you can extrapolate the use of a biosimilar to other less sensitive indications. And to me, that's what extrapolation is, is that once you've satisfied all the other aspects, then actually extrapolating it to a particular other clinical indication is quite straightforward. How comfortable were your peers with the concept of indication extrapolation? And how was this managed? Th there's no doubt that um, the concept of extrapolation is, uh, was difficult, I think, for people to accept. Um, I think people, as they understood about the wider um, testing and analytical methods that we use to demonstrate similarity on a number of levels, whether it's functional, structurally, pharmacodynamic or pharmacokinetic aspects, uh, and the understanding about testing in sensitive indications, I think once people understand all of those, then it was perhaps a bit more palatable and acceptable to understand about extrapolation. But there's no doubt it's one of the aspects that perhaps people questioned. Is a biosimilar medicine more immunogenic than its reference medicine? We haven't seen a, a biosimilar being more immunogenic compared to a reference medicine. Uh, we collected data from our uh, originators and the uh, data on adverse events that our patients had experienced um, before we made the switch to a biosimilar. And then we collected similar data once the biosimilar was introduced. And particularly those patients, even which we, when we had switched, and we saw no difference in the types of reactions that we saw. What are your thoughts about multiple switching? So, so we, had made, we, we, we had made a decision to uh, switch patients from existing reference product to the biosimilar. And that was made on the understanding that we felt they were chemically the same, that you'd have the same impact. Um, we even switched patients who were on the rapid infusion of the reference product and continued them on a rapid infusion of the uh, biosimilar, and we saw no difference. So in principle, I would have no concern because we've already made that switch. However, from a pragmatic and practical point of view, it becomes very difficult if you are switching from one biosimilar to the next to track any meaningful impact or any adverse events. 
And uh, for ease and for, I think, for confidence from an organization, you would probably stay with that one buy similar for as long as you can. Um, now, that doesn't mean that in two or three years' time, if there had to be a wholesale switch again to a different buy similar, then for reasons that as yet are, are unknown, um, then we would do that, much in the same way as we did it from the reference to the biosimilar now. But I advocate um, moving from using one biosimilar or another one and keeping lots of different products available. I wouldn't for all the practical reasons. Um, and so I think for, uh, so for me, I think, you know, yes, there might be a switch at a later stage in a few years' time, but at this stage, there's no need for us to use anything more than one biosimilar in our hospital. What role did pharmacists play in the introduction of biosimilar medicines in your hospital? So in the NHS in England, we, um, we as, a, as pharmacists started the project and led the project for the introduction of biosimilar rituximab. Um, and even though we started that particular piece of work and collected the information and did a structured program to enable the introduction, uh, I have to admit, none of that would have been successful without very, very close working with with all the key stakeholders who are your, your fellow hematologists, your fellow pharmacists, your nursing staff, your patient groups, and also our commissioners within the NHS. So patients were, were told um, that we were using a new form of formulation of uh, rituximab, uh, but we didn't reconsent patients. Patients were, re were consented for treatment for whichever regime, regime they were on, um, and were told they were going to have rituximab, and we have patient information leaflets available, which we give to patients about their treatments. And within that, it would have explained about the biosimilar rituximab that they were receiving. So for me, it, the nocebo effect is when patients feel they're getting an inferior product. And um, we, we didn't see that when we made the change. We certainly weren't questioned about that once we'd made people, once we'd switched people over to the um, biosimilar. What advice would you give a hospital that is considering introducing a biosimilar medicine? Um, the advice I would, I would uh, give to any hospital looking to introduce it is to speak to hospitals that have already made the switch, speak to health systems whereby there's been a wide-scale switch, talk to them about uh, the patient information, talk to them about the safety information if that's been collected, and talk to a number of different stakeholders, from your clinicians to your pharmacists, um, and to your patient groups, because I think collectively that would provide some reassurance about the introduction. What were the savings to the NHS as a result of the uptake of a biosimilar medicine? The current uh, use of uh, biosimilar rituximab in the NHS in England is 98% uptake. And, um, and that, with the saving, with the discounts we saw on the biosimilar, has led to almost £100 million saved across the NHS in England in a typical year. So a, a large saving, uh, but importantly, we were able to demonstrate that we could have the uptake of the biosimilar uh, more comprehensively across the country, but certainly also a faster uptake compared to previous biosimilars. Because we must remember, biosimilars have been around for a number of years. The first time we saw biosimilars in, in the NHS in England was in 2006. So people were aware of them, but what we realised, having looked at the previous uptake of biosimilars, was that the... Um, different regions of the country were having different levels of uptake. So what we tried to do here was have a consistent set of information so that every 
unit across the country in England was able to make that collective decision. And we were able to then effect a change that led everyone to start taking up the biosimilar, hence why we've seen a 98% uptake as opposed to other products where, um, where we saw 90% uptake after a period of two years. What would you say to a colleague who is considering using a biosimilar medicine? I would say there are not many times in your, in your career whereby uh, you can introduce a similar a product with the same um, with the same clinical impact and no increased um, adverse events, uh, but with the opportunity to make significant savings. And therefore, if biosimilars are going to give you that opportunity, and they are well used in other healthcare systems around the world, then um, I would say grasp the opportunity. Thank you, Jatinda Hachiwal, Chief Pharmacist at the Royal Marsden Hospital NHS Foundation Trust for joining us. We appreciate your time. For those listening online, we would like to thank you for listening to the Biosimilar podcast series by GBMA Education. If you would like to know more about biosimilar medicines in Australia, please visit the Biosimilar Hub at www.biosimilarhub.com.au.